0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today is an all-22 review and a mailbag where I'll be answering your listener questions, but we'll be focusing the bulk of today's episode talking about the different ways dean pease tried to scheme against this buccaneers team in week three looking at their coverages and why their pass rush has not been as effective
1: you are locked on falcons your daily atlanta falcons podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day
0: So guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at falcfans.com, RIP, still going strong on Twitter, at falcfans, writing weekly content over at the SB Nation website for the Atlanta Falcons. That is, of course, the Falcoholic And of course, the host of this world-renowned Lockdown Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode of Lockdown Falcons is brought to you by On Location, the official hospitality partner of the NFL. It's the only place to score a -a once-in-a-lifetime Super Bowl ticket and experience package. Visit onlocationexp.com. SB 56 for more information or search Super Bowl on location. So guys, today's episode of Lockdown Falcons is the Wednesday All-22 review. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, then of course, you know that you're probably watching us on Tuesday evening, because of course, we have that with the YouTube show. Now that Lockdown Falcons is free and available on a variety of podcast platforms, audio shows on Wednesday, uh, YouTube shows the night before. So Tuesday night, if you're watching us, shout out to you guys watching us. And of course, if you're subscribed to us on YouTube, you know, not only do you get the show a little bit earlier than the audio version of the show, but you can leave a comment, you can leave a like, you can do all that sort of stuff uh, and, and get your uh, comments across uh, my desk uh, to be answered on episodes like today. Unfortunately, we don't have any uh, YouTube comments to answer because we're going to spend the bulk of today's episode talking about the All-22 and and getting into some topics that you know we, we should be talking about. We'll talk about the coverages and sort of why the Falcons struggle to Cover the Bucks, and you know talent is part of it. But we'll talk about the schematic things that Dean P's at least attempted to try to do uh, to try to slow down this Bucks offense. We'll talk about the schematic issues of why this Falcons uh, pass rush is not effective and why it's taken a step back from a year ago, where it wasn't a great unit, but it was better than what it has been this year. Despite the fact that most of the talent is back, we'll get into exactly what's going on with that, and then we'll get into your listener questions, uh, talking about whether or not this new Falcons coaching staff deserves the bulk of the credit for their ability to turn around their record uh, in one-score ball games and winning a lot more of those games than they have in the past, as well as we'll talk about the offensive line. We'll talk about Matt Hennessy and whether or not he's going to remain the Falcons center uh, for the bulk of the 2021 season as well as beyond. But uh, let's jump right into the All-22. And we talked about uh, how the Falcons' cover two was not very effective the last time they played the Bucks in that Week 2 matchup, and they gave up a ton of big plays. Go back and listen to the All-22 episode of that week, following that week's game. Uh, and, you know, we talked about going into this game on the crossover with David Harrison on Locked on Bucks. I mentioned that I thought it would be uh, particularly possible that the Falcons would decide to man up uh, this Bucks team. And that stems from that week two game where the Falcons didn't play a ton of man coverage, but when they did, it was mostly effective. It wasn't particularly effective when they got into the red zone, but it was between the twenties, the, the Falcons did a pretty good job in that week two game to man up these Bucks receivers. Uh, and I thought that Dean Pease would basically go back down that well, uh, because of the struggles of the cover two, giving up their big plays and wanting to play that bin but don't break style of defense and being asked to man it. And that proved to be the case again this week, where the Falcons, generally speaking, uh came out of the game starting playing a lot of man coverage. And between the twenties, uh things were mostly good. Uh things sort of the slow down once again in the red zone. And that's been consistently the case when the Falcons have deployed man coverage this season, uh, based off of my charting, you know, you go back to that week two game, the bucks success rate when the Falcons were in man coverage was 20% between the twenties, but it was 57% once they got into the red zone. So again, the Falcons played that man coverage. We talked about how on the first 20 plays that the bucks presumably scripted in this game, they threw the ball 17 times Um, and they came out firing and the Falcons played man coverage on 12 of those 17 plays. And once again, on the seven plays outside the red zone, they did fairly well. The Bucs were only successful in two of those plays, so they had a success rate of 29% between the 20s. But once they got into the red zone, the Bucs went 3-for-3 three three for a success rate of 100% uh, against the Falcons' man coverage, and that included the two touchdowns to Lyndon Fournette and Cameron Raitt to start the game. And now we're in a point where adjacent to Caleb McGarry, I just look over, and I also see Fabian Moreau Island. Uh, And I I, I tend to give Fabian Rowe a little bit more credit than most Falcon fans. And I I give him credit again in this game. He did not play great, but he did about as well in man coverage going up against Mike Evans as I've seen any Falcons corner do other than maybe Desmond Trufant over the last, you know, seven years that Mike Evans has been in Tampa Bay. Right. You know, Trufant had problems with Mike Evans quite a bit, uh, but Mike Evans used to cook. Robert Alford, we saw what Mike Evans did to A.J. Terrell last year uh, w- when he went man-to-man man against him and, and was being asked to be a shadow corner in there, and I thought Fabian Moreau did a pretty decent job. Now, in man coverage, uh, my charting had Evans targeted seven times when Moreau was in coverage. Six of those throws were completed, so it wasn't like he was shutting him down. He gained a combined 45 yards on those six receptions, but none of those receptions were big plays. And that has been a big change from what I'm talking about with these other guys where they would go man coverage and they would give up, you know, a 25 yard play. I think uh, AJ Terrell gave up like three or four last year uh, in that week, 15 game where they were uh, asking him to shadow him. Uh, The biggest play was a 15 yarder. The worst rep was a 15 yarder on that opening drive where the Falcons, Um, blitzed on that play and they they tried to jam Mike Evans Moreau did at the line of scrimmage and Evans was just basically able to swat him away break cleanly on the slant and and get some serious separation there but outside of that he was mostly contesting the rest of those throws Uh, and you know it's difficult when you're a Fabian Moreau where you're six foot with 31 inch arms and you're going up against a 6'5", 235 pound Mike Evans who has like 35 inch arms so like at a certain point like you're not going to be able to really contest those throws without having you know that type of And that was part of the reason why the Falcons, you know, several years ago drafted Isaiah Oliver to be that sort of Mike Evans eraser. We know that he didn't necessarily live up to those expectations. But due to the struggles of the Falcons not being able to truly man up the Bucs, uh, they decided to go to a lot more zone in the second half of this game. They called uh, man coverage based off my charting on eight of the 23 second half plays. Uh, and then zone for the rest uh, with cover two being called eight times and cover three being called seven times. And neither of those zone coverages were particularly effective. Although the cover three seemed to be working a little bit better. And then they gave up that big play to Chris Godwin on a 36 yard play uh late in the game. Uh, and basically they ran a, an over route, uh, a, uh, against uh, the Falcons cover three on that play. And because the linebackers didn't get enough depth on that play, uh, particularly Dion Jones, uh, you know, it led to a 36 yard play and Godwin being wide open over the middle of the field. And that's kind of been the general trend this year, meaning that the cover three has been a little bit more effective than their cover two. It's not giving up as many big plays outside of that one uh, as the cover two has been. Um, but, you know, it, it's one of those things where the Falcons early in the season were primarily a cover two heavy defense. And that has shifted over the last couple of weeks, playing a lot more of an even amount of cover three to cover two, uh, which is, is very much different from where it was earlier this season. I think you know I could be wrong uh, I'm going off the top of my head, but I think they only called cover three one time in that week, two game against the box uh, compared to like, it seemed like 20 times they called cover two in that game and they paid for it. But um, you know, when you play man, where you play in zone coverage, I'm sorry, uh, that does have its drawbacks because that now means that you have to be able to get a lot more pressure with four guys up front, and we know that has been a problem for the Falcons, and that will be what we will get into as we continue uh, today's Locked on Falcons But as we continue this football season, we know that Super Bowl Fifty Six at SoFi is just a hundred days away. And on location, the official hospitality partner of the NFL is the only place to score a -a once-in-a-lifetime Super Bowl ticket and experience package. Select your exact seats and choose from elite experiences. Featuring an exclusive pregame celebration with NFL legends, five-star LA hotels, and food by the great Wolfgang Puck. Visit onlocationexp.com SB56 for more information or search Super Bowl on location. That's onlocationexp.com SB56 or search Super Bowl on location for more info. It's the holiday season, and BetOnline has you covered all season long, and has still more odds, props, and lines than ever before as we march towards the NFL and college football playoffs. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season, from football to basketball, hockey. Boxing, UFC, all the way to your favorite Vegas casino games. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. This weekend, the Falcons are two and a half point road underdogs against the Panthers. And if you're curious about the college playoffs, Georgia, Michigan, Georgia's favored by nine points. Uh, Cincinnati is 13 and a half point underdogs to Alabama later at the end of this month. And you can get in on the action. With those games or with other bets, by heading over to the updated Bet Online website at betonline.ag, use the promo code LOCKEDON when you sign up, and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. That means if you deposit 500 bucks, you get $250 of free money to play with so you can bet on your Georgia Bulldogs or your Crimson Tide. Don't wait, take advantage of all the amazing offers available at Bet Online where the game starts. So, um, we talked about Earlier this week on yesterday's episode, I believe uh, how pro football focus had the Falcons pressuring Tom Brady on just four out of 52 dropbacks on Sunday, which was 8%, which is basically, as I explained on that episode, is the lowest I've pretty much ever seen uh, historically bad pass rush. Uh, when I charted the game, I had the Falcons pressuring the Bucks on seven of 51 dropbacks, and I'm assuming that extra dropback the PFF has is due to they don't they include nullified plays, negated plays. Uh, in their data set, which I am not. Uh, so that's slightly better than the 8% up to 14%, but it's still very bad, but just maybe not historically bad. Uh, but to... PFF's credit, probably the three extra plays where I gave the Falcons credit for pressuring didn't really do much to really affect Brady, which is kind of like, oh, they slightly sped up uh, him and, and I credited them with a hurry or whatever the case may be. So I'm not going to knock PFF for being too conservative with their uh, charting in that regard. But, you know, one of the reasons why I think the Falcons were more reliant on their man coverage uh, basically, which has been the case since their bye week, in part is due to the injury to Isaiah Oliver, leading them to play a lot younger defensive backs in their nickel cornerback spot. And those guys maybe not have been as reliable, grasping some of the uh, disguises and, and coverages that DMP is trying to deploy. And he's attempting to simplify their defense. Although, to be fair to the youngsters, Fabian Moreau, uh, who, you know, were exiting Fabian Moreau Island for a second, because he, Definitely had a, a number of mental errors in that Cowboys game. And we've seen several of the veterans have mental errors uh, over the last you know, month or two, which I think has led to the Falcons being a little bit more willing to simplify things with that, that man coverage. I think the other factor of why they're playing more man is they're trying to bring more pressure. Uh, and that typically with man coverage, because you typically have, you know, five guys in coverage and in one deep safety playing that cover one man uh, defense, uh, that allows you to bring more five man blitz concepts and bringing an extra rusher more often than not, than you typically can do uh, deploying zone. And, you know, the Falcons have also over the last three games deployed cover zero. They did it twice against the Bucks. They did it once against the Pats and Jaguars. And it's mostly been effective. Notably last year when we talked about the Falcons running cover zero based off my charting two times the entire year. They gave up a touchdown including a game winner against the Chicago Bears to Nick Foles. More on that later in today's episode. Um, But This year, the cover zero has been very effective, at least since I've been charting it the last three weeks. Uh, The four times they've run it, they've given up three receptions, but none of them have gone for more than six yards. So that's definitely a welcome change to what we saw last year. Um, But, you know, given what we just talked about, the Falcons ceiling, Uh, on how much man coverage they can effectively deploy because they don't necessarily have the horses on the back end to really be a high level man coverage team Uh, that leads to them, you know, still having to use a healthy amount of zone in their defensive game plans. And as I just mentioned, if you're going to run zone, you're going to have to be able to get reliable pressure with four guys. And we know the Falcons do not have the talent to do that. And again, that's another factor of why they're switching to man, and you know the only way to really supplement that when you're running those zone concepts is to try to dial up pressure in zone, but that does become problematic uh, a lot more problematic when you're deploying zone defenses than they when you are playing man defenses. And this was, I think, what Dean Peace was getting at when he was uh, ranting at uh, D Led a couple of weeks ago when he was asking him about pressure. Uh, typically, when you have zone coverages, the two primary uh, most popular coverages that NFL teams deploy, and then the Falcons. Uh, Fit in this category as well as cover two and cover three. And you typically have three deep defenders on those plays. In cover two, uh, or in the Tampa two more specifically, you have the two deep safeties, and then you have the middle linebacker covering the deep middle. And then in cover three, you have the two outside corners, and then you have the free safety playing that deep middle. And that leaves you with three deep guys. That leaves you with four underneath defenders on that second level, and then four players typically rushing the quarterback. And if you're going to dial up five-man concepts, you're going to bring one of those second level defenders, which means you're going to now vacate a zone in the offense. If they can locate that zone and get a receiver into that zone, it's going to create problems for your defense. So DMPs, like a lot of coaches, when they do run these zone blitz concepts, they like to replace their rushers rather than sending a fifth guy and vacating one of those zones. So what they'll often do, and you see this with DMPs all the time, is he'll blitz a corner or he'll blitz a linebacker and then drop one of the... DNs ends uh, or defensive linemen in coverage. Usually it's going to be one of the edge guys. And that's why we saw in those first two games, going back to that week two game against the box, where we saw a ton of Steven means dropping in the coverage, those first two weeks, you know, dropping in the coverage, I think a dozen or 15 times a game. Those first two games, we haven't seen as much of that since then. Um, but that's also why you saw uh, if you were paying attention, you know, in the second half of uh, the Falcons game, when they were playing a lot more zone coverage, the Falcons, you saw some plays where Adeogandeji was in the coverage, and I'm sure some of you are yelling at your TV. Why is that A.O. in coverage? That's the reason why, because they were replacing somebody, they were bringing a linebacker, they're bringing a cornerback, so that they wouldn't have a, you know, a vulnerability on in their zone on the second level. Now, Raheem Morris, when you compare Dean Pease this year to Raheem Morris last year, Dean Pease or Raheem Morris, I should say, was Basically, he didn't care about that, right? Or he cared a lot less about that. Um, And that's why I think part of the reason why the Falcons pass rush is not as good this year as it was a year ago, despite the fact that most of the same personnel that is rushing the quarterback this year was also here last year. You don't have Tack McKinley, you don't have Jacob Tuody Mariner, but Tack basically played five quarters last year. So it's not like you were missing a huge amount of production from him. Uh, And you know that to me is why you hear me say things like, I don't know if the Falcons talent level this year on defense is significantly worse than their talent level uh, on defense last year. Cause pretty much the entirety of their front seven, at least the guys that played last year uh, have been basically back with the exception of basically JTM and, and five quarters of Tack McKinley. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of their issues are more scheme related, uh, and it, you're seeing DMPs being far less aggressive blitzing out of those zone concepts uh, this year than you saw where Raheem Morris, especially when it comes to the cover three. For example, in this week's uh, box game, the Falcons deployed cover three zone a total of 13 times uh, in this game, and they brought four or five man blitz concepts on five of those plays. There were three times where they brought four man concepts and two times where they brought five man concepts. Last year in the week 15 matchup against the Bucks, the Falcons deployed cover three, about 14 plays, and Raheem Morris brought blitzes on eight of those plays. And there were four five-man concepts, two four-man concepts, and two six-man concepts. So he even brought two extra defenders and vacated the zones being a little bit more aggressive than that. And on those eight plays, the Falcons were able to get some form of pressure based off my charting, whether that's a sack of pressure or a hurry, you know, on five of those eight plays. And that included a third down sack that Deion Jones had in that game. And this week on the five plays where the Falcons blitz, they were only able to get some form of pressure just one time. And that came from Stephen Means, I think on like a stunt or something like that. So. You know, we talk about the Falcons' pass rush. One of the other issues that they're dealing with and why it's dropped off is that you're also not seeing, um, in addition to the the scheme issues, the scheme changes. You're also seeing a lot of the players that were here a year ago not playing as well as they did a year ago. And some of that is owed to DMPs not having as much of an aggressive and attacking scheme as Raheem Morris did. Um, but, you know, basically outside of Dante Fowler, who was a little bit more impactful this year than he was a year ago. Uh, not because his overall protection is up, production is up significantly, but it's mostly because when Dante Fowler does get home, it often leads to sack strips and whatnot and sort of more impactful plays. Um, but everybody else has pretty much slipped. Like when Morris was dialing up those zone blitzes a lot once he took over as the interim coach. So that was basically the last 11 games when we saw that really uptick in the first five games. You weren't really seeing that under Dan Quinn, but in those last 11 games, Dion Jones and Foyer year combined for 37 pressures. Uh, If you look at the 12 games that we've played this season, those two guys only have 21 pressures. Uh, And, you know, it's not like, you know, they are not getting as many opportunities to blitz. Going back to what we're talking about with DMPs not being as aggressive, uh, you're talking about an average of about 16 combined pass rush snaps for both of those guys in 2020. And now it's about 12 this year. So that's contributing to it, uh, given that those guys are not getting as many snaps. Now, the lack of opportunities is not really the case for Grady Jarrett in his decline, because last year, uh, he was getting about 36 uh, opportunities to rush the quarterback per game. Last year, no, it's 33 this year. So, it, that gap is a lot smaller in the larger scheme of things. But last year through 12 games, Grady Jarrett had four sacks, 14 hits and 48 pressures. According to PFF this year through 12 games, he has one sack, eight hits and 29 pressures. Um, You also look at the other interior defensive linemen like John Kaminsky, Alan Bailey and Tyler Davidson uh, who were not necessarily good pass rushers, but combined in 2020, they had a combined 56 pressures, right? Grady Jarrett had a combined 57 pressures the entire of the 2020 season and those three guys combined to basically give you a quote unquote another Grady Jarrett uh, when you looked at their combined production and you look at the top three interior uh, defensive linemen beyond Grady Jarrett this year which includes Tyler Davidson Marlon Davidson and Jonathan Ballard they have a combined 10 pressures so they went from 56 to 10 guys they basically lost the equivalent of Don Terry Poe in terms of the performance of those three guys to what they have this year because I think Poe had like 46 pressures back in 2017 but that was just the first name my, that popped in my head um, and that's why you hear people you know proclaiming Marlon Davidson to be this bust and I wouldn't necessarily go that far because I, I do want to see where Marlon Davidson is next year uh, given that basically he didn't really do, have a rookie season because of injuries and all these various things so I'm kind of counting this year as a rookie season um, but obviously three pressures that I think he has is not going to cut it uh, this year and he's certainly not coming close to living up to the potential that we thought he had as a pass rusher. And again, I'm not going to hold my breath and say that suddenly he's going to get those 46 pressures that you need from that second interior pass rusher next year. But, you know, I want to see kind of where he is uh, and maybe he's just going to be a run defender, which is fascinating because he was a good pass rusher in college and not a good run defender. And so he gets to the NFL. He's going to be a good run defender and a terrible pass rusher. So, um, you know, you look at the edge rushers, Steven means, Uh, was averaging 24 pass rushes a game last year, 24 pass rushes a game this year. Last year, he had a combined 24 pressures across the entire season. This year, so far, he only has 10, right? Charles Harris had 14 pressures last year in the entire season. Combined, Adi Ogundeji and Brandon Copeland have that same number, right? So Charles Harris was basically giving you the same amount of production that you're getting from both of those guys combined. JTM had 17 pressures last year, only three in the very limited action that he had this year. And then you have James Walters adding six more. So you're not really getting a whole lot of production from everybody else and many of your key guys. Um, And so I don't say this to basically, you know, knock DMPs or anything like that. But I just say it because it kind of definitively puts to bed the idea and the belief that a lot of people had going into the season that Dean Pease was going to fix this defense and be able to scheme up a lot more pressure than what Raheem Morris was able to do. And again, that's not shade at Dean Pease. Uh, I think part of it is due to the fact that it's harder for him to be aggressive, uh, at least as aggressive as Morris was a year ago because he doesn't have the offensive firepower that Raheem Morris was working with. Who who would have ever thought we would say dirt Cutter in offensive firepower firepower in the same sentence. And the Falcons were 27th in scoring this year. They were 16th in scoring last year. They're averaging basically eight less points per game. And that lends itself to Dean Pease being a lot more conservative and playing more of a bin, but don't break style because you know, your offense isn't going to pick up the slack each and every week. Like you could at least have some semblance of a hope uh, under Dirk Cutter a year ago. Uh, So I certainly, uh, you know, again, not absolving Dean please of blame. I think he certainly could do a better job. but it's part of the reason why I don't have the same energy of attacking Dean Pease uh, from a coaching standpoint as I do for Arthur Smith uh, because of these various factors. Like basically, if Arthur Smith was carrying his weight and producing an offense that was scoring, you know, 24 plus points a game, then I would have a lot more energy for Dean Pease being too conservative or whatever, any accusations that people have leveled at him. But, you know, I don't have the energy for Dean Pease uh, to, to attack him too much, but I do have the energy to answer your listener questions as we wrap up today's Locked on Falcons podcast. But I want to thank you guys for making Locked on Falcons your first listen each and every day. And of course, I always have recommendations for what your second listen should be if you want to get geared up for that playoff game. Of course, Locked on Bulldogs has you covered as well as the other local sports like Locked on Hawks and Locked on Braves. Of course, you can check out all those shows free and available on a variety of podcast platforms. Locked on Bulldogs, Locked on Braves are also free and available on YouTube. So go check them out right after you turn Turn off Locked On Falcons. But this holiday season, why don't you Grab a protein bar while you're checking out Locked On Bulldogs, grabbing a protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar or even better than a candy bar. And we're talking about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market. It's rich with decadent flavor covered in chocolate, but it's healthy too. It's low in sugar, calories, carbs, and fat, but high in protein and fiber. You get the best of both worlds, both delicious and healthy. There's so many flavors it's hard to choose from. You got old favorites like double chocolate, cookies and cream, peanut butter, brownie, and coconut almond. You got new favorites, caramel macchiato, white chocolate cheesecake and coconut brownie chunk. I just ordered a box each of those three flavors this past week, just in time to give me that extra fuel to endure the endless shopping lines, battle those holiday shoppers for the next great deal. And of course, the next great deal is available at Built.com or maybe you need them to endure three hours to get that protein hit to endure the next three hours of watching Falcons football on your next Sunday. So just head over to built.com. And when you do use the promo code lock 15 and you'll get 15% off your order. That's promo code locked 15 for 15% off at built.com. So you guys sent in a bunch of great questions this week. And unfortunately, because I spent so much time reviewing the all 22, I will not be able to get to them. Maybe we'll be able to get to some of those later on Friday. I'm hoping to get a guest on and maybe that guest will be able to provide his or her insight into some of those questions that you guys sent in. So I appreciate you guys for sending them in. Of course, you can always send in your questions via Twitter at lockdown Falcons via Facebook at lockdown Falcons, leave a comment here on YouTube at lockdown Falcons on the YouTube channel. And of course the email address, is Locked on Falcons at mail.com. So that's where you can send them. But uh, we are punting a lot of those questions until next week. But we do have a couple of questions that I do want to answer. And the first one comes from Justin Sandu at Justin201224. He asked, do you think Arthur Smith should get a large chunk of the credit for the Falcons' success in one-score games this year, unlike last year? Or do you think it's much more luck-based and is just averaging out over a few seasons. So it's hard for me to give Arthur Smith too much credit. I don't think he deserves no credit, but I think strength of schedule is probably playing a a bigger part of the team's success this year and their lack of success last year uh, than probably people realize. And I think a lot of factors that we're talking about with this year's team and last year's team depend on the quality of their opponents. The Falcons, if you don't know, have been 5-2 and in one-score games this year, i.e. games decided by eight points or less while they were. Two and eight last year. And when I look at the seven quarterbacks that they face in those one score games this year and compare them to the nine that they faced last year, I noticed a trend, right? This year, they faced Daniel Jones, Taylor Heineke, Zach Wilson, Tua Tagovailoa, Sam Darnold, Trevor Simeon, and Trevor Lawrence. Last year, it was Dak Prescott, Nick Foles, Teddy Bridgewater twice, Matt Stafford, Drew Locke, Taysom Hill, Justin Herbert, Tom Brady, and Patrick Mahomes. Obviously not everyone in that 2020 group is juggernaut, but when you look at the adjusted net yards per attempt or Anya of the entire league, going back the last three seasons, the average NFL offense has produced an Anya of about 6.25. So let's use that 6.25 benchmark to basically tell us who is an above average to competent quarterback and who is not right. You know how many of the nine quarterbacks that we faced last year finished above that sort of Mendoza line that you're using six of them. And the Falcons were one in six in those games. Again, because they played Bridgewater twice, which was he was the lowest ranked guy on that list, and he was the only one that they actually beat in that game. You know how many of the seven quarterbacks that the Falcons faced uh, this year in these one score games that were above that line? Just one. It's two in Tagavaloa, and his production in that Anya stat is basically what Teddy Bridgewater's was a year ago. So basically, the best quarterback that they face in these one score games would be, you know, middle of the road uh, for them last year, or at least, you know, lower half, uh, sixth place a year ago. So, You know, we talked about in the past, part of the reason why the Falcons have a tendency to blow leads is due to the fact that they can't get pressure on the quarterback. And basically the argument, and we just talked about why the Falcons can't get pressure on the quarterback, the lack of talent, scheme issues, all these various things. That was true last year. It's true this year. It's probably going to be true for the end of eternity. Uh, Just grab a built bar and just, you know... (laughs) just wait uh, to the end of the world uh, is is what I'm doing. But, you know, when we talk about not being able to pressure quarterbacks, you know, when you're facing better quarterbacks, that's going to be a bigger issue. As we saw this past Sunday against Tom Brady, where he just picked apart our defense because we could not pressure him. Uh, Then it will be against the lower tier quarterbacks who are going to be a lot more inconsistent and scatter shot and all that various stuff. So if you're in a situation where your opposing quarterback is an above average to good quarterback, like a Tom Brady or like a Patrick Mahomes, like a Dak Prescott, like a Matt Stafford, like a Justin Herbert last year that we saw them all do that in the closing minutes of those games and drive their teams down the field to take a, a, a lead. Uh, if you can't get pressure on the quarterback, they're just going to, it's going to be, it's too easy for them. Right. And, and so it's not to sit here and say that it has nothing to do with Arthur Smith. Cause certainly when you factor in the fact that several of these one score games have required the Falcons going down the field and scoring points and scoring that game winning uh point that Arthur Smith certainly deserves credit for that. But in terms of, you know, how much of that is luck just basically getting the ball last or what, you know what I'm saying? Like, so it's one of those things where Arthur Smith does deserve credit for the offense's ability to go down the field and score and and win some of these one score games. And certainly when we're talking about the struggles of the team to not stop, you know, good quarterbacks last year's team, let Nick Foles, uh, go down the field and score him. And that's a testament, uh, a huge indictment of really how bad Dan Quinn and his coaching staff. So Arthur Smith has something to do with it. But I would sit here and say that some of it is luck of the draw that you're not facing, a, you know, a who's who of quarterbacks. Uh, if, if if this was a situation where we were facing Mahomes and Herbert and, and, and Brady like we were last year and keeping it close and those guys had to go down the field and score uh, or Prescott or whatever the case may be. I don't think we would be seeing uh, Arthur Smith having as much success in these close games as uh, as he is current. Uh, our last question comes from Mantis Toboggan MD at Sebastian's Dad nineteen. He asks, "Is there any room left on McGarry Island? In all serious though, I think McGarry deserves at least another year in Atlanta with his coaching staff. Have you seen anything in Smith's run game scheme that shows you current linemen?" will not be here. Hennessy was in for that drive where we were able to run the ball effectively and Dolman fumbles two snaps. Is it time to let Hennessy finish the season or do you see more splits? I would be surprised this week if we see them platooning uh, that center spot, just based off of what we saw last week from Dolman and the, the fumbled snaps. Uh, and Hennessy was mostly solid in the Bucks game. Um, you know, we talked about this a little bit with Caleb McGarry looking for signs of th- their progress uh, and growth. And we, and um when you compare Matt Hennessy's performance this past week against the Bucs and that formidable front to what he, uh, how he performed in that Week Two game, you know it seemed like there was a significant amount of progress, uh, and it's comparable to what I've talked about. You know, now twice against the Bucks, Shaq Barrett has been mostly a non-factor uh, in in both of those games, and part of that is owed to Kayla McGarry, and we've come a long way. Uh, from Caleb McGarry giving up three sacks to Shaq Barrett uh, in that you know 2019 game or whatever the case may be. So I think credit goes to Matt Hennessey uh, if that is the case of, of showing some growth because two weeks ago we were calling him out for playing terribly against the Patriots. Uh, so hopefully that may lean itself, and we'll see if he can continue that progress. We'll see if McGarry can continue that progress, particularly starting this week. Every game is going to be a referendum on these guys. They got Carolina this week. We know Brian Burns and, and uh, Hassan Reddick are on the edge. You got Derrick Brown and Daquan Jones. On the interior, we saw McGarry do a really good job against Bournes and Reddick, going back to that week eight game. But if he struggles this week or Hennessy regresses after a good week against the Bucks, we're going to hear about it because, again, we're going to have that referendum each and every week on these Falcon starters. And particularly uh, for a vocal uh, segment of our fan base, they are looking for any reason to blame the offensive line when the offense struggles uh, in a, as a way to deflect criticism away from the quarterback. Um, and you know, that's one of the ups and downs of youth in in experience is that you're gonna get inconsistencies. You're not gonna be able to get those guys to play at a high level week in and week out that you would expect from you know a solidified four or five, six year veteran like we see with a Jake Matthews pretty is pretty consistent. He has some bad games, but you know, he usually sandwiches those, you know, sandwich between those bad games or like four or five really good games. And I don't know if we're gonna be able to expect to get that from Caleb McGarry. It's gonna be a lot of ups and downs. But again, I think the general trend is up or or in the right direction for both McGarry. And and at least this week, it looks like, you know, Hennessy is in that direction. Now, when you talk about whether uh, McGarry deserves another shot, deserve is a strong word. uh, I think it really just kind of boils down to the Falcons having bigger fish to fry. Uh, from a need standpoint, and when you squint and you see like, okay, like Hennessy and McGarry, like they're they're showing some signs of progress. Uh, and if you can get another year under Dwayne Ledford, as you mentioned, if Dwayne Ledford is worth his salt as a developmental guy or a development guy, um, you know, the, the Falcons offensive line coach who I'm referring to, then you could see those guys turning into average or capable starters, and that's all you really need. Most NFL lines have two good starters and, you know, two to three average starters. You want to have three good starters and two to three average starters. And hopefully, you know, if Matthews is our good starter, Lindstrom is our good starter, Hennessy and McGarry can be average. You know, I, you would want a little bit more than average at center typically uh, than, than that. But if that's what we're going to have to take, then we'll take what we can get. And then hopefully that leaves you upgrading the left guard spot. And maybe that gives you the other, the third good spot uh, guy. Because, you know, we've taken these frequent trips to Caleb to McGarry. Island, and, and part of the reason why we continue to, to take our vacation there, despite, you know, the food being terrible and the drinks not being particularly good, uh, is due to the fact that if there's one position on this offensive line, I've been saying this, you know, for weeks, if not months it's the left guard position. If there's one position that you're going to try to upgrade this off season, right? And again, we can sit here and have a conversation over whether or not they should try to upgrade multiple spots. But if there's one spot that you have to upgrade, it's the left guard position. Um, and, and that's where Jalen Mayfield is. And I, I doubt I'm going to hear a lot more uh, talk from folks in the comments and in response, telling me that my criticism of Jalen Mayfield is unfair after uh, this last week's, Again, but we'll see. I'm sure, uh you know, some of you guys are still out there on on Jalen Mayfield Island. But I will sit here and tell you, as bad as the food is on Kayla McGarry Island, it's uh, worse on Jalen Mayfield Island. So good luck with that. But um you know, I would basically I would summarize by saying that I don't think center and right tackle are priorities at this point in time. But given that the Falcons are allegedly a best player available drafting philosophy team, you know, if there are opportunities to upgrade those two spots this offseason, I think there will be, uh, particularly in free agency. You know, we'll see if the Falcons will take a swing at doing that. You know, we'll see what the draft has to hold, but uh we'll just sort of have to see. And sort of the last point I w- I will say before we duck out of here, I did, didn't have the time to get into this on today's episode. Maybe I'll get into some of it on um, you know, later this week. But uh, I stand with Kurt Warner on what he said about Matt Ryan because, you know, there were some issues in this game. With Matt Ryan, you know many of those issues related to the the protection in front of him as we're talking about it. But there were some opportunities for Matt Ryan to make some throws, make some, uh, you know, he was a little bit hesitant there. Uh, so you know, I think Kurt Warner, what he said on Twitter, if you guys don't know what I'm referring to, I think he was right in that regard. I will read his tweet for those of you that are unfamiliar with what I'm talking about. But uh, Kurt Warner said few quarterbacks frustrate me more watching film than Matt Ryan. Uh, he makes so many big time throws, but equally as many confusing reads and decisions. I have no idea what to make of it. Not sure how it's possible, but it's every week? Question mark, question mark, question mark. So um, that was kind of my takeaway watching the film. There were there were opportunities in this game for Matt Ryan to, to you know, basically not play with the same level of hesitation. I'm not going to get into it on today's uh, at the end of today's episode because it will take me another 10 minutes and I've been having too many 45 minute episodes. So uh, much to your guys's chagrin. Uh, we'll just have to punt that to a future episode, maybe later this week where we can talk about it. But uh, tomorrow on Lockdown Falcons, we will get into a crossover Thursday with Julian Council, the host of the Lockdown Panthers podcast, and we will preview this week 14 matchup between the Falcons and Panthers. And of course, if you want to provide your feedback to me on anything I've talked about on today's episode, anything I've talked about on previous episodes, or anything you want me to talk about on future episodes, including answering your listener questions, of course, you can do so by hitting me up on Twitter at Lockdown Falcons, on Facebook at Lockdown Falcons. Email address is Locked on Falcons at mail.com. You can also leave a comment here on the Lockdown Falcons YouTube channel where we are free and available. Make sure you hit us a like and make sure you hit that subscribe button. And also make sure you hit that subscribe button on the Lockdown Bets podcast. Always have recommended recommendations for your second listen in addition to the local shows like Lockdown Bulldogs and Lockdown Hawks why not check out the uh Lockdown Bets podcast where Lee Sterling the happy expert is giving you his daily picks his blowout specials and his lock of the day to help you put more money in your pocket so that you can go out there and buy more built bars or spend more money at betonline.ag. So why not subscribe to locked on bets free and available on a variety of podcast platforms, including Apple Odyssey, Google, and Spotify. So there you guys have it. There's your all 22 review. We'll be back with more tomorrow with Julian council of locked on Panthers. I appreciate it guys till then
1: spring. Is that you warmer temps mean new Albert styles meet the super light collection.